welcome to Dig It. This is the speaker. I'm here with my co-host, The Sharp Edge, and Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. How are you guys going? Doing good. Doing good. It's good to be back. I missed you guys. Good to have you, you back. Too. <laughs> Getting my so, head back in the game. Surrounded yeah, no. by boxes, but I'm all good. <laughs> <laughs> You've been busy, man. It's good to have you back. It hasn't been the same. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so some of our talking points today, I think we've got a bit of a show. We're going to talk about the shift sensor vote, some impeachment updates, also updates on Syria. I'm going to talk a little bit about the global protests and the chaos that is going around at the moment because a lot of countries getting involved now in some sort of uh, national issue. We're going to talk a little bit about the Canada election. We're going to talk a little bit about Tulsi versus Hillary and a little bit more on Tulsi's background that Corey's going to go into, Assange. And we're going to finish off with a story about James Younger. If you haven't heard about this story, it's pretty devastating, about a seven-year-old that's forced to transgender. So let's get into it with the censor vote and the impeachment update, Edge. One quick thing, though, Speaker, tell everyone, because I know you've been working really hard at getting our podcast up on other sites. We have put the podcast up on Stitcher. I'm still waiting for it to come in on TuneIn, and we do have it on SoundCloud. So we will post them under the links of the video and when we tweet it out as well. And we'll be awesome. adding more over time. So awesome yeah. job. Getting there slowly. <laughs> Take a seat, Edge. All right. So on Monday night, Pelosi and the Democrats blocked an attempt by the House Republicans to censure Adam Schiff for repeatedly lying to the American people. He fabricated that call transcript during a congressional hearing, and he lied about his and his staff's contacts with the whistleblower. So Republicans are pretty upset about that. Then on Wednesday, over 30 Republican House members gathered in front of the basement doors of these secret hearings, and they held a press conference, and then they stormed the basement doors and went into the skiff. They were asked to leave, but they didn't. And Schiff was making threats about holding them accountable for doing that and then left the room. So apparently Schiff was not willing to continue <laughs> with the hearings from that no point on. Glad they finally got some balls on him to do something. Jesus. Right? Right? It's a step in the right direction. Uh, yeah. So Adam Schiff does not want to reveal the identity of this CIA whistleblower, although that's one of the things that the Republicans are calling for. He's claiming he doesn't even want this uh, whistleblower to testify in order to protect this person's identity. But I think that there's more to the story than that. I think that Schiff is trying to cover for himself because there is mounting evidence that we know the identity of the whistleblower and that it's been discovered. There's some internet sleuths that have been digging into this for the past week or so on Twitter. Then it's been reported on OANN as well as Gateway Pundit and other areas. So these are the things that we do know for a fact. We know that the whistleblower is a CIA operative, that this person was a Ukraine specialist who worked under the Obama administration and the Trump administration and the National Security Council and was registered Democrat and a disgruntled former White House employee. So when you add all of those things up by process of elimination, it's believed this whistleblower could be Eric Ciaramella. Mm -hmm. This character fits the description. He also has ties to a mega Clinton donor and the person that we've been talking about, a key player in the Ukraine story. So this Ukraine oligarch, Viktor Pinchuk, has arranged meetings with oil and gas politicians for this Eric Ciaramella. 
So he has ties directly to Victor Pinchuk. Victor Pinchuk has donated up to $27 million to the Clinton Foundation. He's a board member of the Atlantic Council. And the Atlantic Council sponsored trips for Adam Schiff and staffers to the Ukraine in the same month of this whistleblower report being filed. And if Eric Ciaramella is the whistleblower, his ties to Victor Pinchuk and Adam Schiff's staffers raises major questions as far as was Schiff involved in possibly spying on President Trump through Ciaramella, which puts the whole possibility of conspiracy and treason under the Espionage Act into play here. Mm -hmm. So that's what we have on the updates for the impeachment and the Schiff censure. Glad to see some of those Republicans come out. It's a bad time. Yeah, the Republicans tend to be quite a tame crew. Conservative, it's in the name. So Edge, tell us about what's going on in Syria. A lot's been going on over the past week on Syria and the situation there. So a week ago Wednesday, Pelosi and Schumer walked out of a meeting with Trump on the Syria topic. <laughs> And we didn't discuss this last week because it had happened after we recorded last week. Basically, Trump claimed that Pelosi had had a meltdown. And then, of course, Pelosi was shooting back saying, no, it was Trump who had the meltdown. So that beautiful photo of her standing up, <laughs> pointing her finger at him. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it boils down to this. Pelosi and Schumer and the Democrats, they were complaining about Trump's pullout of troops in Syria. Trump reportedly stated that some of the elements of the Kurds were communist and that the Democrats must like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong, though. No, he's not. And mm -hmm. then he also reportedly called Pelosi a third-rate politician. <laughs> the truth is that there is a communist element among the Kurds. They're known as the PKK. And Trump reportedly stated that the PKK are tougher than ISIS and that they're no angels. So the PKK are this Kurdistan worker party, and they are a communist militant group. And they've been warring with Turkey for decades. The Kurds as a whole have been warring with Turkey for centuries. So Trump has issues with being involved in that, and I don't blame him for that. But over the weekend, Pelosi and Schiff and some others went to Jordan to meet with the king there, as well as to Afghanistan to, to discuss the situation in Syria. No doubt they were obviously trying to undermine Trump's decision to pull out the troops there. Then on Monday, Trump stated in the cabinet meeting that he was asked by Israel and Jordan to leave a small number of troops there to protect the oil fields as well as the Jordanian border near Israel. And I think the reason it's speculated that Iran was looking at seizing those oil fields if we completely pulled out. And so as a countermeasure, I think Trump is protecting those oil fields for the time being. So that was on Monday. Then on Tuesday, Trump tweeted out Tuesday evening, got some good news coming. So on Wednesday, Trump held a press conference on Wednesday with big news that he had made a deal with the Kurds in Turkey. And he was stating that there has been a major breakthrough toward a better future for Syria. And he stated that Turkey agreed to stop the combat and make the ceasefire permanent. 
he added that the U.S. will lift the sanctions if Turkey holds to their agreement of a permanent ceasefire. And if Turkey breaks that permanent ceasefire, he will impose the crippling sanctions again. So he stated that this deal would never have been accomplished had he not pulled out the troops and allowed the warring groups to fight for three days. And after that fighting, it was so bad that after that, they both decided they were finally ready to make a deal. So he said that no one has been able to get this kind of deal done, that the United States was finally able to accomplish it. And he added that we were only supposed to be there in Syria for 30 days originally. We ended up staying yeah. 10 years. <laughs> right. Finally, we're getting out and the deal was done without a single drop of American blood being shed. Yeah, because I saw him tweet out some of what you said and then I didn't have a chance to see. There was about a 35 minute press conference today. So if anyone wants to see that, it's on his Twitter page now. Very good deal. And in separate but related news, this is also huge. This is on Syria as well. Judicial Watch broke the news this week that based on some new Clinton emails that they had received from a FOIA request that confirmed that the Obama administration knew there were weapons being shipped from Benghazi following the overthrow of the Gaddafi regime to arm rebels in Syria. And it hmm. speculated that the American consulate in Benghazi through the Obama administration was actually participating in the gun running. So this cache of 100 pages of previously classified documents also revealed that the Obama administration received a document from the Defense Department the day after the Benghazi attack happened that stated it was an attack planned well in advance by members of Al-Qaeda and Muslim Brotherhood, and the purpose was to kill as many Americans as possible on the anniversary of 9-11. They knew from the beginning that the story of the attack, of it being a spontaneous attack based on a Muslim critical video, they knew that was a lie. And now we finally have proof. Wow, I missed that. I've missed a lot this past week, haven't I? That's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, it is a big one. So we already knew this, but now we have proof. Right, right. Yeah, I missed that too. How did that escape me? <laughs> it's amazing the stuff that you got to like the big things that are coming out but that it's so hard to find sometimes because the mainstream media doesn't talk about it yeah i've missed a whole lot like the canada elections break down what what happened there canada elected their first black pm <laughs> <laughs> what happened oh boy oh i'm really <laughs> i am feeling for our canadian patriot friends they were bombed trudeau barely won the re-election in canada this week he lost the popular vote his party failed to hold a majority in the house of commons taking 157 seats out of the 170 needed for a majority there's obviously speculation we don't know but obviously speculation of was there voter fraud there's definitely that speculation as well as speculation that because who in the hell would vote for him exactly. <laughs> liberals and there's also speculation that trudeau may attempt to shut down any investigations now that this election is over into the corruption regarding the snc lavalin case where trudeau has been accused of obstructing justice and fraud and embezzlement 
Good mm. Lord. Well, the, the good thing about that is minority governments don't really last long, and he has to sort of work with other people now to get any of his legislation through. True. And that's not going to happen. They're not going to work with someone like that. I don't know. Canada's, you know, they, they could be in a better position, but they're in an okay position considering he didn't win the majority government. Very true. It could have been worse. Yeah. It could have been a lot worse. So before I get into the whole Tulsi HRC thing and her background and um, this horrific story about this poor boy, tell us uh, the global chaos I know you've been following. Look, there's too, there's too much to go into. Like there's too many countries that are on it. So I, I am going to touch on the, like the little ones that have just kind of sprung up over the last week. The, the first one that's kind of gone under the radar is protests and riots in a country called Azerbaijan, which is close. It, it's surrounded by Russia, Georgia, Armenia, and Iran. I think about 86 of the population are Shia, Shia Muslims. So what, what they're protesting is low salaries, corruption, uh, corruption, and lack of democracy. The thing that's interesting about Azerbaijan, though, is it's not bad in way of standings of countries go. I mean, it's got a high rate of economic development. It's got a low rate of unemployment a high rate of literacy. However, the ruling party, which is the new Azerbaijan party, has been accused of authoritarianism and human rights abuses. The president of Azerbaijan, a person called Ilham Aliyev, and he's been in power since 2003. Mm. Prior to that, preceding him was his father, uh, Haider Aliyev, who mm. got into power in 1993. So it's a 26-year dynasty going on here. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so, so you can kind of see why these protests are kind of springing up because countries like that shouldn't have ruling dynasties for so long. I mean, the vice president is his wife. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So it's, 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 and it's quite interesting. Every, every election, he's winning the votes by like 85%. There's something wrong here. And, and there right. is a complete lack of transparency when it comes to their voting system. And what kind of protests are they doing right now? At the moment, it hasn't been violent like the rest of them, protesting these things outside Parliament, outside these places. But what happened the other day, which kind of set them off a little bit as well, is the leader of the opposition party, who's a person called Ali Kalimli, uh, he's the leader of the Popular Front Party, uh, he got arrested the other day. So that, that kicked off with the protests as well. And before he got arrested, he was seen shouting, we demand the constitutional rights and freedoms to be, be protected. And the things that are coming out from his side of the story is that Aliyev has overseen a systematic dismantling of the country's civil society, which has seen dozens of arrests from journalists and activists, and also a shutting down of independent media, which is probably a reason why I found it so hard to get a lot of information out of there. Right. I tried, I, tried, I looked, but it, it, it's very surface level. Yeah, so, so that's an interesting protest in Azerbaijan at the moment. Probably the most peaceful one we have on the list. Because <laughs> they start getting worse, trust me. <laughs> I'm sure. The, yeah, well, the, the, the second one is Lebanon. Lebanon, actually, when I started looking into it, it actually started to laugh a little bit because there is some funny things that the Lebanese are doing that other protests and riots aren't. So to, to start off with this one, the reason these protests started is because the government proposed a tax on messaging apps and WhatsApp. <laughs> so one, I find that absolutely hilarious because that's like that's ad, that absolutely set them off. Well, these are free service providers, so you got to question that. Do you know what I mean? How can the government tax something that's not theirs? Right. These are independent apps, man. Like these are not—they they have no government affiliation, especially not in Lebanon. From that, 
<laughs> it's, it's blown up and been going on for seven days now. Nationwide general strike across Lebanon now has gone to the demand to end economic woes and perceived corruption. Millions of protesters, like I, I think the turnout the other day in Beirut was around 1.5 million. Wow, that's it crazy. Massive, massive protests. So all this because of because of WhatsApp. Wow. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure of, there were other things, but that was just of, what of, tipped them over the edge. Of, of course. Yeah. That, 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 that was the catalyst. The Lebanese government kind of did something interesting after these five days. The Prime Minister of Economics, Prime Minister Hariri, made a reform announcement. So in, instead of denying these protesters their rights, the Prime Minister's come out and he's announced these reforms. And just some of these reforms are cutting salaries of some current and former presidents, drafting a law to establish an anti-corruption committee, creating no new taxes for the 2020 budget, drafting a law that seeks to restore stolen public funds. So the Prime Minister's come out and said, yeah, okay, we'll do all this. But after the reforms are announced, all the protesters started chanting revolution, revolution. <laughs> um, I'm and, guessing they don't trust them and they well, don't it, believe that the, there's going to well, be a reform. Exactly. That's that's what I was going to say. A few protesters came out and in their own words is this is not enough. We want the resignation of the government and they want the resignation of the government and handing over to a non-political judges until election. So that's like one of their demands. But most of the protesters have said in the streets, no, we're not buying it. We don't believe a single thing they just said. It's interesting that the Prime Minister's taken that stand because in most protests, you see a doubling down, a refusing. So this government's done something different, which has totally backfired on them. <laughs> because the, the people just didn't believe the bullshit. So, and then from that... We move on to Chile. Chile is probably the most violent that we've seen so far. Well, we've, we've seen the deaths of 15 civilians so far in Chile. Had this protest started is the government announced a metro rush hour. Prices would rise. The rise of these prices would go up by 0.30 pesos, which is the equivalent of four cents. Not a lot by our standards, but you've got to remember. This but is by, by our standards. Right. But by theirs, right? And and the Metro Rush Hour is school children and stuff like that. So after that was announced, there was a big um, public outcry. And to combat this outcry, and this is what really sparked the violence, is the response from the Minister of Economy, Juan Andres, said, those unhappy with the price rise should wake up earlier and then they can pay a lower rate. Wow. Uh, after he said that, it really broke out. So you had school kids conducting massive um, fare evasion. They were breaking turnstiles, destroying subways, absolutely kicked off, turned into a nationwide movement and turning violent very quickly. There's a building called the ENEL building, which they set on fire. There's been trains set on fire. Jeez. So a absolutely widespread They've looting. They've had enough. Yeah, wow. widespread, widespread looting and a lot of petrol stations have been lit on fire. It's the worst violence the country has seen since 1990, which they were actually controlled by a dictatorship back then. Wow. The thing about this, though, is Chile is considered one of South America's most peaceful and stable countries. Chile's not, not normally not on the one on the list to, to see these sort of things, but now it's just it's gone way beyond those metro prices, and especially with that response from the Minister of Economy, that really tipped the people off, man. And that would piss me off too. You coming yeah. out and saying saying that and saying it so blatantly, so rudely callously mm -hmm. are they communist or socialist or capitalist I'm, I'm, 
not a hundred percent sure on that. I will definitely have to look into it. But yeah, so so now it's gone beyond metro prices, and it's gone to the cost of living, low wages, lack of education rights, poor public health system, and crippling inequality. Like so, it's going the way of Venezuela. Yeah, pretty much. That's where we're going. But I don't know if they're socialists. Seems like the um, world is waking up. You know, when you look at the yellow vests you look at hong kong you look at all of the countries you've mentioned it's just worldwide chaos and i'm not condoning the violence you know but people are just they've had enough and they are not buying the lies from the politicians and those in power anymore bolivia just started up last night there's another one um the last one i'll get into a little bit of a detail because i wanted to touch on the ones that are not fairly known yet because like a, a lot of people know about the yellow vests a lot of people know what's going on in Hong Kong. That's all really stable. Not stable, but there's no change. Maybe an increase in violence in Hong Kong, but slowly going up. But the, yeah, the last one I want to touch on is the Spain Catalonia one. Before you go into that, I just, I was looking this up while you were talking at the end there. So I just pulled up this article from the New York Times from last year and it says, Santiago, Chile, for the third time in 12 years, Chile's two towering political figures will trade the powers of the presidency. And they were saying the socialist leader, Michelle Bachelet, oh God, you know me, I can't pronounce anything, (laughs) made history in 2006 by becoming the first woman elected president in Chile. But four years later, voters went in the opposite direction, choosing a conservative conservative billionaire businessman, Sebastian Panera. Miss Bachelet then reclaimed the presidency in 2014, but Mr. Panera took it back yet again in elections last year. So his new term began on Sunday, and this was this was a year ago. So in response to what Edge was bringing up, it seems like there was, there's definitely some socialism going on there. I don't know the new president exactly where he stands but i just wanted to because because i was curious so i just wanted to look that up real quick yeah it's good to know so there yeah so obviously there is socialist elements yeah so um where was i yeah so the spain and catalonia one is interesting considering the way that spain is kind of set out there's 17 autonomous communities in Spain. So these are regions, sort of nations within ourselves. Some are nations, some are national identities, but they all fall under the government of Spain. But they have, to a degree, a a leeway of self-governance within limits. There's a long history between Catalonia and Spain, but Catalonia is, is spread out into four four sort of districts, uh, Barcelona being the biggest one, which we all know. How, how this kicked off, we got to go back a little bit to 2017. There was uh, a disputed voting process which happened within Catalonia. The Spanish government, it, it was an independence referendum. The Spanish government said that it was illegally done and suspended because they believed it breached the 1978 Constitution of Spain. With that, you had the former president of Catalonia. Five other cabinet members fled Spain, uh, so they pretty much went into exile. The former president went to Belgium, where he still is at the moment, but he's still quite vocal. But nine other cabinet members didn't manage to leave the country and got arrested, including the vice president of Catalonia. Hmm, interesting. So, so what's kicked them off the spark at the moment is now the sentences have been handed down from that event. And those nine politicians are now facing nine to 13 years each in prison and under various charges such as a rebellion, sedition. I think it was something about stealing public funding. I don't know how much of this is 
true. It, it, it's really hard to pick a side here because I, I don't know as much about it as I should. So I got to kind of, kind of stay in that non-bias sort of a section. I do think any place that wants independence should have it. But then again, of course, there's legal uh, avenues going on here. But that also kicked off widespread riots throughout Spain. A lot of peaceful protests as well with some of the videos that you're seeing out because ca- Catalonia has a population of about 10 million. Within that region, there is still a lot of people in Catalonia that are Spanish loyalists. So that, that that's where the trouble trouble starting. You've got Spanish loyalists uh, within this region against uh, you know the Catalonians. So that's blown up. It's going to be interesting to see where it's where that takes it. But um, yeah, all around the world, things are happening. Eh? I'd say lots going on everywhere. Yeah, and, and 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 like I said today, Bolivia just kicked off. I don't know. I haven't looked into that yet. It just happened as soon as I finished. So getting some of these notes down, I was like, ah, shit, another one. <laughs> I'm sure I'm you doing- can go across the globe and find a lot happening in you know all over. It would be interesting to continue on this path with our podcast, where you do a little segment on different places each time. You know, because oh, foreign correspondence. Because <laughs> there is, <laughs> there's, there is a huge awakening going on. There is. Now, some of these places, obviously, there's been protests and uprisings going on for years, decades. But others, you know, like you just brought up with Chile, that doesn't seem as common. So it's interesting yeah. to learn about that. Yeah, very interesting. And to me, it's encouraging. I know that there's a lot of chaos that goes on with the global unrest. But to me, it's encouraging that the people are waking up and not buying into the lies that they have been told for so long by their governments. So Yep, and you can also see clear as day across the globe the control over the the media, you know, and I'm sure that's one big reason they wanted to shut down WhatsApp because that's a form of global communication and, you know, each country doesn't want their people knowing what's truly going on in other countries or you know, I think we might have talked about this in one of the podcasts where they'll go into other countries and they'll pay these people to act. And I mean, we just saw some of these going on a couple of weeks ago, like the one with the woman and the baby saying that it was, you know, dead when it clearly wasn't dead. And there was one I looked up once on uh, that the BBC ran where they were showing pictures along the wall and the women are walking with like rosary beads and they're crying and they're looking at all the pictures pictures and the flowers on the wall. And I'm like, wait a minute. And I do a double take and I start looking into it. And sure enough, it was one of the boys from who had allegedly died in Sandy Hook posted on a wall in another country as though that was one of their children that died over there. I mean, this is, this is how disgusting the media is to propagandize and push their agendas. It's, it's really, it's disgusting what they do. I can't even imagine. Could you imagine having that position? Like what's their real title? Who can come up with the best schemes, get the actors, like being in charge of those scenarios. Like this is the, this is the agenda we're going to push. So you need to go in and you need to get these actors. And we want you setting up, setting up the stage and the scene. And this is what we want. Here's the script for what we want the people saying. I mean, I'm just trying to picture what that looks like behind the scenes and how all these people have a clear conscience doing this takes a special kind of evil to be part of that think tank. Yeah. Mm. 
So should I jump into uh, Tulsi? Let's do it. I'm interested to say this. I'm sure most people caught this where, okay, so Hillary stated that she believes the Russians have got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic primary and are grooming her to be a third party candidate. God, and, the Russians. Uh, and then she says, and that's assuming Bill Stein will give it up, which she might not because she's also a Russian asset. <laughs> I mean, totally. They know they can't win without a third party candidate. So then, then Tulsi went into a Twitter storm, you know, going against Hillary. And I don't know. Do you guys feel like I feel I should read this? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Just in case anyone's not on Twitter, I guess, though this has probably been published in articles by now. So she says, great. Thank you, Hillary Clinton. You, the queen of warmongers, embodiment of corruption and personification of the rot that has sickened the Democratic Party for so long, have finally come out from behind the curtain. From the day I announced my candidacy, there has been a concerted campaign to destroy my reputation. We wondered who was behind it and why. Now we know. It was always you, through your proxies and powerful allies in the corporate media and war machine, afraid of the threat I pose. It's now clear that this primary is between you and me. Don't cowardly hide behind your proxies. Join the race directly. And then, of course, she goes on Tucker that night and bolsters her position, and she takes full advantage of the spotlight. And then, and so that, that was like on the 18th. And then just this Tuesday, Hillary posted a quote by Beyonce on her Instagram, which states, power's not given to you, you have to take it. And then she captioned it with, Beyonce speaks the truth. So immediately speculation, everyone's pumping out articles and tweets saying, you know, she's running, she's going to run. It's like every time the woman opens her mouth, everyone says she's going to run. And maybe <laughs> she's going to, but I personally am going to stand by what I've always said. I don't think she's going to. I think this is a drag out show. So that being said... A lot of people, including myself, I retweeted her, but I made it clear that I do not stand with Tulsi, but that what she says about Hillary is certainly truth. I was trying to draw attention to it because I immediately felt like there was some shenanigans going on here. It was just too perfectly laid out for me. So, right. It did seem sad. It does seem sad. Like it was staged or... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so I just want people to know, look, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but everyone needs to do their own research before you jump on board the Tulsi train, before you decide you're going to support her or back her, and before you contribute any funds to her, because she is riding this slushy train of a mix of communism and socialism and globalism and, oh, but I'm with all you Trumpers and, you know, she's all over the place. And so just, just some facts on Tulsi so people understand. She resigned in 2016 as the Democratic National Committee Vice Chair to endorse Bernie Sanders, who his pr presidential run in 2016, which we all know he's a socialist, full blown. Who also came out in support of what she said the other day as well. Oh, yes, of course. And she co-sponsored a bill to support Medicare for all. She wants to ban assault weapons, which technically, you know, they could say, hey, everything's technically an assault weapon. I mean, all guns. And, and she's, she's against uh, a lot of things as it pertains to guns. And so she voted against Kate's Law. She voted against funding for the border wall. She voted twice against the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act and voted against the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act. She voted against the No Sanctuary for Criminals Act. 
She voted against tax cuts. She voted against making American Secure Appropriations Act, which includes appropriations for defense, military construction, and veterans affairs. She voted against the National Defense Authorization Act. And despite all these votes, she ranks 343rd in votes missed of the 434 lawmakers in Congress. Wow. She's missed nearly 28% of the votes, and her explanation for most of the missed votes is military service. Not that, you know, she's been campaigning and all, but military service, so mm. I don't know what that's about. She's a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, which can only be found on the way back machine because once everyone else did that in June, it was quickly removed. Her name was quickly removed from their membership. She fought against the Dakota Access Pipeline and is seen in a photo with domestic terrorist leader, protest organizer, and leader of Antifa in Portland, Evan Duke. And he's been seen in numerous videos assaulting people. There's a whole lot more to that character. And one of the things that when I was researching Zorro Ranch, Epstein Zorro Ranch, and I was researching the Kings, you know, the former AG Gary King and his wife, Yolanda Jones King, because it was Gary King's father, the former governor who sold the property to Jeffrey Epstein and their land all surrounds that ranch. Well, Yolanda Jones King is back in Tulsi, and she has an extensive history in the U.S. Air Force and working with directed energy and ballistic missiles. Also, coincidentally, the Kings owned, and may still, I'm not sure, seven timeshares in Hawaii. So I just, you know, because we know Tulsi was in, um, she was in Army, wasn't she? Yeah, I know she served, I want to say, two terms in Iraq, was it? I'd have to look that up, but... Oh, research! (laughs) I just don't want to misquote it. Pretty sure she went to Iraq twice. Um, She was not in combat, though. Certainly not to diminish her in any way for that, but I just remember reading that part about it. I mean, anyone can go in and find that in her bio. At any rate, at any rate. It seems like Tulsi is trying to play the middle of the road to get that kind of vote and capture a lot of the pro-military people who may lean left or are middle of the road, but her voting record seems extremely liberal. She doesn't seem to want funding for defense or, you know, veterans affairs, military construction. I mean, she's, she just, okay. So (laughs) then on September 27th, she made a statement regarding the impeachment inquiry. And this is just the first portion of it. She says, up to this point, I've been opposed to pursuing impeachment because it will further divide our already badly divided country. However, after looking carefully at the transcript of the conversation with Ukraine's president, the whistleblower complaint, the inspector general memo, and President Trump's comments about the issue, unfortunately, I believe that if we do not proceed with the inquiry, it will set a very dangerous precedent. Future presidents, as well as anyone in positions of power in the government, will conclude that they can abuse their position for personal gain without fear of accountability or consequences. So she is all for impeachment. The smartest thing for her to do then would have been for her to stick with her original. She would have probably got more votes and a lot of people talking. Every time she goes against Hillary or, you know, against Kamala or, you know, every everyone on our side is like, yeah, because we like hearing people speak out about the corruption, yeah. but people need to, and, and you know, that's fine. I mean, and everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I just feel like not enough people are doing the research and I feel like she's bamboozled a lot of people and they don't 
understand her true motives. Of course, the way she swings around with all of her motives, it's no wonder people would be confused. But I think she's just trying to get as much publicity, get into the next Democratic debate, get more time on the stage. Um, all of these things work in her favor. So oh, yeah. And which brings me to my to my final point on this is, you know, what was this shenanigans all about with Hillary going after her and then her shooting back? Well, I stop and think, okay, Hillary may be evil, but she's not a fool. She's very smart when it comes to this type of play. But, a seasoned politician. Oh, God. Yeah. So she knew damn well that this little hit piece on Tulsi would only push her into the spotlight that it would align her with the whole Russian asset Trump side, painting her as a victim of Hillary's attacks, and it would garner her more respect from the right. Even those that vote Democrat don't like Hillary. A lot of people don't. They, they know she's corrupt. So it would have earned her, Tulsi, more respect from the Dems as well. And no one believes for a minute that she's a Russian asset. Maybe CIA, but definitely not Russian. So based on these tactics, to me, it appears that Hillary was thrusting her into the spotlight. I do not believe that it was to get Tulsi because she, you know, she ended her little Twitter rant that Hillary should, should run. I don't believe that this was done so that Tulsi would then say that and put Hillary into the spotlight of running. I just, I just don't. I'm not buying it. So I'm standing with my original statement and hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I think this is a lot of show. I don't believe that Hillary is going to run. And I think that she's fueling, she's like this outsider fueling everything and uh, getting her jabs in where she can and not having to worry about being so politically correct if she was running. Though politically correct has kind of gone out the window this year completely, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has. <laughs> well, this year? Um... Well, yeah, for a long time, but I'm saying it's they've gotten so much bolder to where they just out and out lie, they just say anything, whereas before they tried to keep it, you know, a little more concealed, and now they just, they don't care. They know we know they're lying, and they don't care. Right. Yeah, it does seem like a show to me. Definitely seemed like it was staged. Definitely think there's more to Tulsi than meets the eye. She is not the middle of the road candidate that could unite the parties and so forth. I think that she's definitely just using this as a launching point to be able to make it to the next debate, get more time on the next debate, further her her chances. Absolutely. Ay, ay, ay. It's interesting to watch though, isn't it? Of course. <laughs> get into this James Younger thing because this this pissed yeah, me off. Right? That was my first reaction actually was anger and then I just was sad. So this seven-year-old boy in Texas, just this Monday a jury ruled against a Texas father named Jeffrey Younger and he was attempting to stop his seven-year-old son James from a gender transition that his ex-wife, and I'm going to butcher her name, Dr. Ann Gorgelas uh, is facilitating this and so this would give her the authority to give him puberty blockers, which can cause chemical castration. And Mr. Young will likely be forced to have to affirm his son's new gender and refer to him as a girl, which the mom named Luna. She's already registered him at the school as Luna, and he is using the girl's bathroom. So while I was unpacking 
boxes <laughs> from my move, I was listening to, and I highly recommend people go in and listen to it. I want to say it was about 45 minutes to an hour long. So I caught most of it, but I was kind of running in and out of rooms. Jeffrey Younger did an interview and he really covered a lot of ground in it, explaining what's been going on in the court system. And, you know, he, he has some suspicions there with some of these people in these positions of making these decisions. You know, there's some nefarious stuff going on. So this is in Texas, right? This is in Texas. Yeah. And that's surprising. He gets into like the psychology of it all and how he feels it's sexual abuse because it's like, you know, she started at age three, I believe it was, she started dressing him as a girl. And he talks about how one day he goes to pick him up. And I want to say he was like four then. And there he was like crying and just really upset. And he said, what's wrong? And well, she had painted his nails. And so supposedly she's, he's only dressing as a girl in the house around her. And he said that when the, the mom only shows him affection when he's acting like a girl, which is what she wants. But when he's not, she locks him in his room and tells him monsters only eat boys. Isn't that great? Oh, it's so, so sick. I've heard a couple things, and I don't know from your research if you've confirmed this or not. I didn't have time to confirm, but I heard that it all began with him expressing, the child expressing that he liked the movie Frozen. I heard that. And I also heard that it all started with him choosing a girl toy at McDonald's. Have you heard either of those rumors? Yes. Father did not talk about that in the interview, I do not believe. And okay. I haven't seen that in the reports I've read. Okay. Um, but that's not to say that's not the case. I mean, nothing would surprise me with this woman who is a doctor. Um, right. Isn't she a psychiatrist or something? I'd have to look that up. It didn't actually say that in this particular report I was reading. It just referred to her as doctor. But he gets into, you know, what's been going on and the court system and the repercussions of this, because not only would he be ordered to have to call his son a female, but in communications with him, I mean, he, he really went into great detail on all of this. And like, he wouldn't even be able to bring him to his church because, you know, in their eyes, the court's eyes, well, the church sees transgenders, you know, is against transgenders and therefore you can't bring them to church with you and just all these things. It's like completely changing this child's entire life. And he says that when his son James is with him, he dresses like a boy. He has no desire to dress as a girl and that he actually gets violently refuses to wear girls clothes. So his dad is the only one who's telling him the truth that you're a boy. And Doesn't the mom and the teachers... He the librarian, the principal, and the police officer at the school are all telling him he's a girl. That's so sad. Doesn't, doesn't he have a twin brother too? Like, so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He didn't really talk too much about that in the interview. I don't So really... I can imagine that the, that he wants to be like his brother. He doesn't want to, you know, I can imagine right. the turmoil right. going on inside of his mind. Right. God, yeah, this poor kid. Such a young age, man. And, is... and then. And then he said he's received tons of letters regarding this case and since he went public with it all, and that half of them have been from the LGDP, LG, wow, LGBTQ, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I,
and, and from transgenders, letting him know that they do not agree with this being done to a child. So that, that was impressive. And um, he's trying to get this information out more public. And, because, my God, think of the precedent this, this court case is setting and that everyone has to completely change and change this this boy where it started at three and he's seven now and in in the next year and a half she could start him on these hormone pills which could lead to chemical castration so she's trying to take away the parental rights from him she's also trying to get him to she wants him to pay for the transgender affirming therapists and any transgender medical alterations could you imagine and and this this poor man, you know, he's having to like keep his calm through all of this. And like he said, he says, they are asking me to affirm a delusion and having to watch his child go through this while he's dealing with court and having to keep his calm and cool because he's up against some people that seem a bit sketchy that I feel like I should dig into a little bit. Do I, it. I, I, I can't imagine. Do it. I <laughs> and take them far away. You know, I just can't imagine. Oh, I'd be gone, man. Like no, no court, no anything could demand me to do that too much. Yeah, oh, no, these are. Did you guys know these are donor eggs? Yes, so this is, I was going to say not that. Biological. She biological. she's not yeah. even the biological mother. He's the biological father, but she received donor eggs. So she's not even the biological mother in this case. Yeah. So it's really alarming that, you know, I've been working on, I have a lot of research compiled actually, and I've already begun a pretty in-depth timeline on the transgender agenda. And that's a report that I will be getting out within the next month. This story here will most definitely make the cut in my report because this, you know, and I've written a little bit on it in the past, but I wanted to cover it more in depth because I wanted to look at it as a full scope instead of just isolated incidents that have been happening. Because I think we all at this point can see their bigger picture and this huge, massive push. I mean, this is all we've been hearing about for the past month. Have you noticed the escalation in this? It's nuts. Look, look, I'm, I'm all for doing or being whatever the hell you want to be at a, mm -hmm. at a, certain, at a certain age, right? Right. But don't push it on the youth. And you, you know they're not mentally capable of handling something like this. No, it's, it's unbelievable. I've been anxiously awaiting to hear. I saw a very short clip of Assange going to court, and I don't know the lowdown on that. So who's got the lowdown on that? What's going on with Julian Assange? I can give you a little update. So Assange appeared in court this week in the case to determine if he will be extradited to the U.S. He reportedly appeared very teary-eyed and confused during the hearing, even like forgetting basic information. So I'm not really sure what's going on with his mental condition or possibly the conditions in the, the prison where he's being kept. He's been in prison since he left the Ecuadorian embassy back in May. And when he was asked his name and birth date, he seemed confused and a bit shaken. His lawyers are requesting more time to gather evidence on this um, extradition case. 
and the judge refused them more time. Assange was arguing that this case uh, against the U.S. for extradition, that we have, a, you know, just astronomical amounts of resources, and he has limited resources, and the, therefore it's not fair and equitable, and that he needs more time to build his case. But the judge did not accept that request for an extension to gather more evidence, and so the case will go on beginning February 25th to determine if Assange is extradited to the United States. So he did not appear very well, guys. He doesn't look good. There was, yeah, there was a quick video. The press was outside of the courthouse. They caught a video of him inside of one of the vehicles. He didn't look like like himself. So yeah, I'm a little concerned about what's going on in the prison system there where he's being kept and why. Now he can communicate with others in there, right? I don't know. I'm not sure if he's in isolation or not. I think he might be. I really don't know the status on that. Mm. Yeah, so February 25th is the date to look out for. Uh, there may be some other updates between here and there. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, we covered a lot of ground, guys. That was a long one, huh? I know, right? Yeah. There's a lot to catch up on. Lots going on. I, I almost feel back in the loop now. <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> almost. Now I can convene with unpacking and then start to work on an article tonight. <laughs> nice. I'm going to have to edit this for two days. you'll do good well guys we hope you enjoyed this podcast and thanks for listening to us here on dig it with the speaker Corey from Corey Stiggs and myself the sharp edge please be sure to check out all the links in the description below and be sure to share like subscribe and hit that bell we'll see you back next time right here on dig it they're having us boom (laughs) 